Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. Turn to 1 Kings tonight. We're looking at 1 Kings chapter 15. Uh, tonight, as you grab your Bible, we always say this. I choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It reports supernatural events that took place to fulfill a prophecy. It's divine, not human in origin. And tonight, we're going to be looking in our Bibles in 1 Kings chapter 15, looking at verse 25. Tonight, we'll be looking at uh, very briefly about four or five kings because there's a certain king I want to get to that we'll be really focusing on. But tonight we'll be highlighting the king Basha, Zimri, Omar and also the, the, the king the, the, the one who initialized everything Nadab, his father uh, Joram. And if we're looking in 1 Kings chapter 15 tonight we'll be mainly staying in 1 Kings. I know we've been jumping back and forth in First and Second Chronicles but <clears throat> there's no need for that tonight. In 1 Kings chapter 15 if you follow along with me in verse 25, Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years. Beginning here, we already, uh, uh, last time we were together, we talked about Asa. Asa reigned for uh, 40 years. I think it was 41 years. And I believe in his uh, latter days as being the monarch of the king of Judea or Judah, he actually uh, was weak in his faith. And if you remember the last time we spoke about Asa, his name meant physician because his name was synonymous with modern doctors. Not modern as far as us, but being on the cutting edge of the medical field in his time, Asa tried to find healing in the, the ailments of his body and his feet. Mostly, many commentaries and theologians say that Asa had gout, which is known as the prince's disease because kings and princes would eat a lot of rich food. And if you are familiar with gout, that is what causes the, the acidity in the blood to, to eat away at the joints and leave you near, nearly immobile and also in, in, a, in a state of constant pain. But as we have seen here in, in the second year of Asa, you're saying, well, there's going to be a long reign here because Asa will go for 40 years. But in this in this moment, there are going to be many transitions that will take place that Asa will see because of the wickedness of Jeroboam and those that come behind him. If you look in verse 26, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the way of his father and his sin, which he made Israel to sin. Now, the, what the, the writer here in 1 Kings is reiterating here is that uh, the, the Jeroboam is begatting a son in his own image. He's making a son who will come along and have the same flaws and the character issues as well as inheriting the sin of Jeroboam. He learned from his daddy, so Nadab learns to do what daddy did. He will actually be as wicked, and it says he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and his sin, and which he made Israel to sin. Now it's one thing for you to personally sin, but it's another thing if you cause other people to sin. Now standing before God on judgment day, you will give an account of your sins, but also the effect on other people. Because the Bible says it's appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. And that will entail as we read in the book of Revelation that the book were open and there was a, a, a judge, a great white throne judgment is what the Bible says. But we see here that in the sin in which he made Israel to sin, 
In verse 27, Basha, the son of Ahijah of the house of Issachar, conspired against him. And Basha struck him down at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines for Nadab. And all of Israel were laying siege at Gibbethon. Now, I want to go ahead and unpack some history in verse 27. Basha is the son of Ahijah. Now, Ahijah is not the high priest that we've heard of before. Ahijah here is... Uh, uh, the son of Ahijah of the house of Issachar. And now the, the, the writer who wrote 1 Kings puts that there to distinguish who Basha is because he doesn't want you to get him caught up with Ahijah who was a former king of over in, in the southern region of Israel, which is Judah. And he doesn't want to get you confused with Jer- Jeroboam's son that died in, in an early age. But Ahijah, the house of Issachar, he conspired. What we'll see here is Bashiah, he, he was the first generation to come after Jer- Jeroboam. Now, you remember Jeroboam had many kids, but now we see that Basha is the only one. Basha will be the one who will take the place of his son Nadab because he kills him. What we can learn about, about Jeroboam, what is the things that he leaves as a heritage for those? Well, he taught Basha, Zemurah, and Omara to lift up their hands against the king. And we see that Jeroboam had a tendency to be rebellious because we know that Jeroboam Jeroboam rose up against his own master, who is Solomon. Uh, If you remember, Jeroboam runs to Egypt at the time of Solomon's reign because God put a prophecy over the man and said he will give him the northern kingdom tribes, the ten tribes. But he didn't say that he was going to split the religion or the dedication of the Jew to a false god or the known as the calves that were raised up in Bethel and over in Shem. Uh, a shema. So we see that Jeroboam here, he, he teaches to the generations behind him not to be subject to God's anointed, to rise up against the king. Now we compare that to the southern nation of Judah. And the king there, of course, if you remember the one who started it all, who was not Saul, but it was actually David. And David's attitude to God's king is found in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 6. If you don't want to turn there, you can hear what i got to say because we're only going to reference Whenever David said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. In 1 Samuel 24, verse 6 here, this is where David is hiding in a cave and the men were conspiring to kill Saul. As The Bible says he was going inside the cave to relieve himself. They were hiding deeper within the cave and they wanted to ambush Saul who was hunting David, even though Saul was the anointed one from Samuel to be the first king, the first monarch over a united tribe Israel. Well, David tells the men, I will not touch God's anointed. Jeroboam didn't feel that way as he led a rebellion. And we see that the rebellious spirit that's placed in the northern kingdoms, the ten tribes of the north, that is almost hereditary. I wonder, congregation, those who are gathered here tonight, those who are 
listening by podcast. What are you leaving as a spiritual heritage in your life? Yes, families have heritage that run through the blood and DNA. There might be a rebel yell in your family. There might be uh, uh, there might be a mean streak in your family. But I wonder what kind of spiritual heritage are you teaching your children and the future generations? Is church a priority? Is the Bible important? Is prayer time something that you make sure there's time in your day to do it? Is community and a Bible-believing church important to you? And it's also mirrored around those around you. What takes priority because I want to let you know that our children will take our example. They will follow our example before they follow our advice. Amen. Well, I want to let you know also that he taught his subjects indirectly to hold life cheaply. Now, as we read here, we see that Basha is also of the house of Issachar, which is reigned over by Nadab. And I want to let you know as we go through these kings very quickly, that Basha and Nadab and the kings that come after him, they will wipe out whole families because they do not want contenders to rise up against him. But David never thought about wiping out the king before him family. In fact, he made promises to Jonathan, who was actually uh, someone who would be his rival and contemporary. He made a promise to him that he would bless his family, and he actually does through Mephibosheth as he brings the lame man into the household and feeds him from his own table. Mephibosheth should have been a contender against David, but David sought to bless him to honor the covenant between his friend Prince Jonathan, who was the son of Saul. But we see in verse 27, Basha, the son of Ahab, of the house of his court conspired against him, and Basha struck him down at Gibbethon. I want to let you know that Gibbethon is actually, according to the book of Joshua, was one of the one of the cities that belonged to the children of Israel. But we see here which belongs to the Philistines. So I can tell you that Basha was one who was taking the horn, uh, taking the, the 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 cow by the horns. He's taking this opportunity because. Nadab was actually a weak king because we can see that the borders are shrinking because the Philistines are moving in into the area which belonged to the northern kingdom of Israel. Because Gibbethon is actually a city that belongs to the Levites. The Levites, if you remember the last time we were together, when Jeroboam became king, they took a huge exodus out of the northern kingdom and came down to the southern kingdoms because Rehoboam was following the Lord of Scripture, following the God of the Lord of hosts. And so they came to the southern kingdom to establish and strengthen the king there because they were following the biblical old ways and following God and honoring him. So they basically deserted that key, that city there at Gibbethon. So the Philistines as they come across, come across a, an empty city, they take up residence there and now it, be, it belongs to the Philistines. But we know that Nadab was saying, well I want the city back. So he lays siege there. And for, probably for the next 20 years they will lay siege there at Gibbethon because we'll see a lot of kings losing their life either in that siege or around that siege. So I want to let you know that taking place to the siege in verse 27, it will come and leave a shadow of the next few kings that will come along. Now, Basha killed him in the third year of King Asa of Judah and reigned in his his place. We don't know how he killed him. He just killed him. He did. And we see here in verse number 29, as soon as the king, as he was king, he killed all the house of Jeroboam. 
This is to remind you of the prophecy that was given to Jeroboam from the faithful minister who came to him and told him uh, that uh, you, you started out well and God gave you the kingdom. He brought you up from dust. He, gave, he brought you up and made you a king out of nothing. And yet you weren't faithful to him. So I will wipe your family, your DNA, and your descendants from the face of the earth. So that prophecy comes for, true in verse 28 and 29. So Basha killed him in the third year of Asa, the king of Judah, and reigned in his place. So we see here that Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, which was only two generations here, and it was only two years into his reign, he's killed by Basha. And Basha is cruel in his reign. He wipes out any contender, and he makes sure he's killed, and makes sure that there's nobody coming to contend against him, and he reigned in his place. In verse 29, as soon as he was king, he killed all the house of Jeroboam. Notice he killed all the house. That means children. It means women. It means men. And he left to the house of Jeroboam not one that breathed. He didn't have mercy on just the women and maybe some children. He wiped them all out. And if you remember, Jeroboam had many children. He had 16 daughters for one and 28 sons at one point. But we see here that Basha wipes them out. Not one breed until he had destroyed it according to the word of the Lord that was spoke by the servant Ahijah the Shalonite. We see here that Ahijah, that name just comes up again. That's like John Smith. He's everywhere but he's a nobody. Here we see that Ahijah once again the prophet, if we remember the prophecy that was given to us, it comes true. Was he put into place? Was he wiped out because of the prophecy? Well it's very possible because this prophecy, this prophecy was told long before Basha comes along. Probably a good 10-15 years because we got to remember the reign of Jeroboam was about 20 years. And now we have two years outside Ahijim. And now we have this one coming up with Nadab. So it's that far removed. So he might not have even heard of the prophecy, but I want to let you know that the word of the Lord is established and it stands forever. When God says it, it's established. Things don't happen because uh, we have to make God's prophecy come true. They happen because God can see the future and the past all at the same time because it's God. And he destroyed him according to the word of the Lord. That was spoken by Ahijah the Shalonite. In verse 30, And it was for the sins of Jeroboam that he sinned, that he made Israel to sin. And because of the anger which he provoked the Lord, the God of Israel. Many people don't understand that you can literally provoke the Lord. That many times you can go around and you can, many people don't understand that you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can cause God to be grieved over you. Much like a father is grieved over their own son or a mother grieved over their own daughter. Our, our Heavenly Father has a relationship with us. But here we see that he was provoked and God, the God of Israel, which is, you notice here, he's still called the God of Israel. Even though Israel is apostate and worshiping false God, he still calls himself the God of Israel and he's still referred to as the God of Israel. Even though Jeroboam had made Israel to sin and we can see that the God of Israel is conjured up in anger and jealousy. We spoke about before that jealousy is not necessary 
necessarily a sin in the eyes of our, in our, in our understanding. And let me help us understand that a husband should be jealous for the affection of his wife and a wife should be jealous for the affection of her husband and light of that relationship that he has full rights to be a person who is enticed and pulled in because of the affections of his wife and if she gives it to another he should be provoked to jealousy much like our God even today in our church that our God is provoked to be jealous over us and we should be jealous over him that we don't put anything before him that we make much of his name and serve him and him alone but I want you to look at verse 31. Now the rest of the acts of Nadab and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Israel? And there was war between Asa and Basha, the king of Israel, all their days. Now the war and the tension between the north and the south is taking place here in verse 32. And, and now we can understand that Basha reigns in Israel. Now that the... The, 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 the dynasty of Jeroboam has ended. In fact, you will see many turnovers here that will last only two generations because of the unrighteousness and the sin of the northern, the northern tribes will take place. They don't even hold a candle to Asa and those that will come along later. I want to let you know that we're actually going somewhere. We're trying to get to Ahab and Jehoshaphat. But before we get there, we have to fill in the backstory and know how we even get get there. But in the meantime, just reminding you that Jeroboam is the one who started this tidal wave that we're seeing here, the result. You might say, what can one life matter? I want to let you know that even though you feel like you're small, and you feel like you're not making much impact. I want to let you know that even a fly can make a huge impact. How do I know? Have you ever tried to sleep in a room where there's a fly? And you just lose sleep. You want to swing. You're hitting everything. You'll cut the light on. You'll try to kill it. I know my wife will. But I'm thankful for her because I'm not going to move. But she'll get up and she'll find and hunt it down. But even something as insignificant as a fly can make a difference and change things. As well as one life can be... a uh, much like the analogy of dropping a pebble in the middle of the pond that will cause a tsunami off the coast of a nation. That, that one life can make a difference and we certainly see it in the life of Jero, Jer, Jeroboam and what he taught in his subjects. He told them that life was cheap. We see that Basha wipes out a whole family and we'll see it again. He, be, he begat a spirit of lawlessness and insubordination among his own people because we see that Jeroboam established a whole religion to compete with Rehoboam to keep the people from going to the southern nation and worshiping the one true God. Jeroboam was worried that his population will dwindle if he doesn't suffice and pacify the people with some kind of religion because we are all created to worship and we see that Jeroboam walks up and he just he, he delivers on a silver platter a, a religion of convenience right around the corner. If you go here you can just do a microwave wave service. You can have your fire and you can burn your sacrifices to these calves. This is the one who brought us out of Egypt. This is the one who gets credit. No, we don't really call him Jehovah. We can call him whatever you want. That way we don't offend anybody. We make it easy. If he could stream it, he probably would. Stream it straight to their tents. That way they don't even have to leave the house. They can use PayPal or Apple Pay to tithe. They can do whatever. Just make it easy. 
Now, for those who came to church tonight, you probably drove through a monsoon or a storm. It costs something to be here. Our worship costs something. It will always cost something. And I know there's some who didn't make it tonight, but thank God for technology. And we will actually have you stream and listen to it by podcast. And thank God for this opportunity and our time. But this does not suffice our worship. We don't worship at home. We worship in community because that's what it commands. But it's kind of like a father who calls his children. He calls his children to, the, to family dinner, and it, it, you can you can ignore the father and not go to family dinner. But it will affect your relationship with the father. It will affect you, and it will affect him. Much like the Christian, when he calls us to family meal time on Sundays and Wednesdays, do you show up? Do you go there and serve? Thank God that he's merciful and gracious, and he still calls. But I want to let you know. That whenever, whenever Jeroboam, whenever his life, he, he, he exudes an example of lawlessness and insubordination, of disrespect to the one true God. Who cares about his economic stance and how well the, the, the gross national product was doing? Who cares if inflation was off the charts? Who really cares if his borders were secure if he didn't honor the one true God? Preacher, are you trying to say that even in America that we should make the issue serving the one true God over everything else? Absolutely. Serving God even if it hurts your pocketbook? Serving God even if it causes you to pay more for gas? Serving God if it means that babies have to be full and full term and delivered and you lose all your reproductive rights? You gave those up whenever you decided to walk into the bedroom and lock the door behind you or even not lock the door. Whatever. When you decide to lay down yourself in the bed with somebody else, you're giving up your rights and you causing a third party to enter into that relationship when that person has the right to breathe just like you do. Don't get me started on that. So we see here that he begat a son in his own likeness. That here that Jeroboam and those that have come behind him in the throne, they're just like Jeroboam. The evil that men do lives on after them is what one commentary says. It lives on in their children. It lives on in their constitution. The way they are raised, how they believe. That Listen to me, man. The way you walk, the way you speak, the way you carry yourself, the way you deal with anger, the way you work, your tenacity, the the zeal and the passion and the desires of the things that you pursue in life will be seen by our children and the generation behind us and they will emulate us. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What if everybody imitated you? Well, what will they find themselves doing? Will they be hypocrites? Will there be, uh, there'll be people with a wishbone where their backbone should be? Will there be people who stand on the Word, who make, make, make time to study God's Word, to build their faith? What would people be like if everybody was like you? Hmm, I know there ain't many people here tonight, but I'll amen myself. The, we see that Jeroboam begot a son in his own likeness. He also entailed his sin upon his successors. And you'll notice that every one of these kings that come after him, that this is that they walked in the way of Jeroboam and his sin, which he did. But everything that Jeroboam did, that the kings emulated and did it after him. I, I know that when we read before, back early in 1 Kings, that Jeroboam had a son named Abijah, who God saw something good in him, even though he died at a young age. But he was the exception. That, 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 that there would be a righteous seed in the family of Jeroboam, and God just decided to take him. The reasoning could be decided for many reasons, that the whole nation mourned that the 
young prince died, but God could be calling the people back to him in the the moment of a world tragedy or a national tragedy where the prince died and they will come together in his memorial and say that he loved the God, the God of Israel, that he loved the scriptures, that he adhered to God and served him with a righteous heart. He was pure in all his ways. And and when the righteous die, the Bible tells us that the Lord looks upon the death of the righteous with affection, that he cares when the righteous die because it's a symbol to all of those around us that they walked in the way of the Lord that I should do the way. I should do that also in my ways and the way I walk. I should walk like they walked. I should emulate them because the world is full of pimps, thugs, and hustlers. And it's easy to go down the stream if you're a dead fish. But those that are alive goes against the current, goes against the culture. They live a righteous and holy, separated, dedicated, and submitted life to God and God alone. Let us emulate that for not just God in the, for, in the sake of that, that we should decrease, that He should increase. Uh, just like Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Not just for that sake, but for those who come behind us, the, the, the generation that will come behind us here in our local church and those that will rise up in our nation to serve God. So we see here that He begat a son in His own likeness. And his sin was walked in the same path that he was a trailblazer. He was the one who set the precedence in the kings that have come behind him. What about you and your family? Will you set precedence? Will you be the one who will be faithful? Will you serve God? And you might say tonight, I don't know if I can. I, don't, I, I know I can't. Well, thanks be to God because the Bible says it's not by power or by might, but by my spirit. If you walk in the spirit, as we read in the book of Ephesians, that is by his spirit. He enables us that we are his workmanship for good works. He created us to do those things. He gives us the power and embodiment and strength to do the things that he calls us to do. So we are now looking at Nabad. We have looked at Basha. Now we will look at the next king who will rise up. Because we see that the war of Asa and Basha was taking place. But Basha reigns in Israel, verse 33. In the third year of Asa, the king of Judah, Basha, the son of, the son of Ahijah, began to reign over the, all of Israel in Tizra. Now I want to let you know that he reigns here in Tizra. And that's the first time we've heard of Tizra. I believe we've heard about it earlier. But he's reigning there. But he will start to, in the next generation coming up, they will start to scope out other places where they can start to fortify and make it a better place to reign from. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the way of Jeroboam and his sin which he made Israel to sin. So we see that now there's a new dynasty that has started here with Basha. However, he just goes with the status quo. The main reason that he goes with the status quo is because the culture has been set. Can you imagine this king who now comes in? Even if he was a righteous king, how much backlash would he have from the culture and the community? He says, no, 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 no. We're going to tear all these calves down, these Asherah poles, and all the cult prostitutes that are in our region. We're going to burn it down and we're going to serve the one true God. There will be such a backlash of the people. Uh, I heard the the theologian John Calvin says, when God has a wicked people, He gives them a wicked ruler. 
And I want to let you know that maybe you haven't liked who's been in the White House in the last couple of years. They say when Ronald Reagan died that the golden age of America died with him. Uh, he might have been a good president or he might have been a good actor. It don't really matter. But I want to let you know that, that, that we got the president we deserve as, uh, as an American. That we got the one who don't know where he's hiding documents. We don't, he don't even know what day to day is. He don't even know how to ride a bicycle. We got the guy that we deserve because we have been unrighteous. We have not followed God and we've, we've, got the, we've got the king that we rightly deserve. Saul was the king they needed. But God and his mercy and his grace will rise up those whenever the people, it's not really, it doesn't start from the, uh, the top down. It begins at the grassroots. It begins in the household. It begins with the fathers sitting down with the children or the grandfather sitting down with the grandchildren gathering them around and reading the word of God and simply teaching basic grassroots doctrine and theology to the next generation so they can emulate to grow up to be righteous men to lead their household and their families to the altar of God and serve Him and Him alone. So we see here that Basha is now reigning. He reigns over Israel and he reigned 24 years. That's quite a while as we see that Basha is on the throne. But he does, it doesn't matter how long he reigned. It's still spotted before heaven and God as he did evil in the same facets that we see that Jeroboam did. It doesn't matter if you live a long life. Well, what does it account for? Can you account for a big bank account when you pass? Or will you leave a legacy of sin, depravity, wickedness, and brokenness? Now, as we begin in 1 Kings chapter 16, I want to tell you, we won't go very far. We'll only get to verse 28. That's how quick... We'll go from 20-some years, 25, 26, 27, 30 years here in 1 Kings. It's only a couple of verses, so if you'll follow along with me in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of Hanai, against Basha, saying, I want to remind you that this prophet, the man of God that, who will rise up, we've heard of him before. Well, really, we've heard of Hanai. This was the king that rose up. I mean, this was the, the prophet that rose up in Second Chronicles 16. If you remember, at that time, Hanai, the seer, came to King Asa of Judah and said to him, because you relied on the king of Syria... And did not rely on the Lord your God. The army of, of the king of Syria has escaped you. If you remember, Hanai rose up and goes to the king of Asa. Remember King Asa didn't like what he said. And actually King Asa put Hanani in jail. But now we see in chapter 16, Hanani's son, Jehu, rises up. It's wonderful to know that even here in our local church that many of the godly people here had godly parents. Do you see how generational... I know you heard before generational curses. What about generational blessings? Because we serve a generational God who has a relationship with generations. The God of the living. The God of the future. The God of now. That many people who are working in the church, whether you're here at the river or at another church and you're listening by podcast on the internet, that many people who are godly within a congregation come from godly parents. Maybe, maybe, maybe by God's grace and mercy that you didn't have that option, but God rose you up. But you can leave a legacy to your children to be leaders within the church who could be prophets, pastors, deacons and teachers and preachers for God's glory. But we see here that the son of the prophet who was locked up in the southern nation 
Nell rises up to Basha. In verse number 2, See, I have exalted you out of the dust and made you leader over my people Israel. And you have walked in the way of Jeroboam and made my people Israel to sin, provoking me to anger with their sins. Behold, I will utterly sweep away Basha and his house, and I will make his house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. Anyone belonging to Basha who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And anyone who dies in the field, the birds of heaven will eat. Well, why? It almost sounds like the same prophecy that we've heard before. Well, I want to let you know that the, that the prophets in succession have the same message from God for the same sins. That God has not changed His message uh, whenever a new generation comes up and discovers the same old sins that have been laying in the garden of rebellion. They just pluck them and say, well, this is new. Transgenderism is new. Um, the, uh, pedophilia, this is new. LGBT equal rights is new. All this is new. You need to be caught up with the times. Christianity is ahead of the times because we've seen all those old sins. And God has dealt with them and warned humanity against them. But yet we still play in the field of vipers, playing with snakes, attaching, to our, attaching them to our own bodies and letting the venom destroy our bodies, our spirits, and our souls, and our minds, as well as our heritage. We see here that the prophet warns Basha and tells him the same thing that Jeroboam heard. That He will wipe him away. Because God does not change His mind about sin. He's not, well we call it tolerant. We, we call it where we all coexist and just get along. Our big Rodney King says, can't we all just get along if you're old enough to remember that, the LA riots. Well can't everybody just get along? God ain't going to be cohabitating with idols. He's not going to be getting along with our pet sins. He's not going to be someone who has a dual throne in your life. He is all God of all or not at all. Provoking me to anger with your sins. It's almost as if Basha was outside a wall that held back the wrath of God and was pulling out bricks just for fun. Eventually, even in our lives, that I want to let you know if you're playing with sin, that that dam will break and God's wrath will fall upon you, but only by the grace of God. He says, Behold, I will utterly sweep away Basha at his house. Anyone belonging to Basha who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. That means that Basha's family will not have an honorable death. There will be no memorials. They will be open in the fields and they will rot. The birds of the field will eat. In verse 5, now the rest of the acts of Basha and what he did in his might were not written in the books of Chronicles of the king of Israel. And Basha slept with his fathers and buried at Tizah. And Eli... His son reigned in his place. No, we don't see Basha dying. We don't see where Basha was murdered. We don't see where he had a heart attack. We don't see if his cholesterol was high. I don't know. It don't, really, it don't even say. But many, many times people have the Hezekiah syndrome. Hezekiah syndrome was that uh, he, he heard that, uh, that, that he, he heard from God that God was going to uh, deal with his, his dynasty. But not in his life later on. He'll live a full life, but his children's children will have to deal with God's wrath. So he didn't worry about it. I, I, he, wasn't, he didn't have any issues. He didn't worry about it. He just put off the debt. He just carried over the trillion dollar debt. He just he put it off. He just passed the bill and he just waited a while and just let, every, so let somebody else worry about it. Let the next generation, he let next week's person worry with it. That not now. I ain't going to worry with it now. That's Tuesday's problem. Let, let Kevin on Tuesday deal with that. He pushed it off, but not really 
really for himself, but for generations later. It seems like if he, if he heard this warning from Jehu that, that, that he would do something, that he would hear about his descendants that will come from him being destroyed by God and maybe bring reform just there in his house, but he doesn't. If there's anything I learned being a minister in the last 20 years is people's going to do what people want to do. I mean, you can't drag on the church. You can't bribe them. You might be able to bribe them, but after they get to the bribe, they'll leave because they don't want God. You, people's going to do what they want to do. You can't talk them out of. You can take an addict who loves someone, but that for the for the sake of love, they will not give up their addiction. They will not give up their sin. They will still, no matter what, find ways around to get their favorite God and their favorite idol. They, they, people will do what they want to do. They're trapped by the bondage of the will, which is what Martin Luther spoke about, that you're bound in your will. That's why Jesus tells us in John chapter number 3, when Nick Ademus came to him, I like to call him a Nick at night, Nick came up at night and asked Jesus, well, as a teacher, uh, Jesus explains to him, you must be born again. Your nature must be changed. Everything about you must be change. Otherwise, you're just uh, the same old person uh, who's living morality and uh, who stumbles and falls and finds cracks in the, in the theology and goes back to his old way. You're just a corpse with lipstick on and you're not changed. You just squirt some perfume on it. You still stink and you just have a nice suit on, but you're still dead in your sins and trespasses unless God transforms you and changes your heart, brings you back to life from death into life like Lazarus dead in his, dead in his tomb until Christ spoke to him and brought him forth and he lived again. That's theology. So we see here that Basia does not reform. He didn't even try. The Bible doesn't say he didn't even try. He still allowed the the calves to be worshipped, the high places, the blatant idol worship that Jeroboam started. You might say, well, it's too risky. Maybe it's risky in your family. What would you lose? Would you lose an earthly inheritance? Would you be blacklisted in your family? The religious one? Would you be the one at work that people don't want to talk to anymore because you don't laugh at the filthy jokes anymore? What would you lose? I'll tell you what you lose. You'll lose the wrath of God on you. You'll lose addictions. You'll lose the taste for the things that were destroying your body, your mind, and your soul, destroying your family, wanting to put you in the pits of hell. That's what you would lose, and that's worth it. Uh, uh, as we continue. Basha slept in verse 6 and was buried at Tizra. And Eli, the son, reigned in his place. Moreover, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Jehu, the son of Eli, against Basha and his house, both because of all the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger or the work of his hands. And being like the house of Jeroboam, and also because he destroyed it. He became the very thing he destroyed. In verse number 8, Elah reigns in Israel in the 26th year of Asa. Remember, Asa reigned for a long time in the southern kingdom. King of Judah, Elah, the son of Basha, began to reign over Israel. Now, we've already seen one dynasty change, and now we have another Basha's son. Elah has risen to power. And he reigned two years. Wow. What's with the wicked? For his father reigned 20-some years, but now he will reign too. I'm going to tell you, he does not hold the record as the longest or the shortest reign. There will be one that will come after him who reigns for seven days. But his servant Zimrah, commander of half his chariots, conspired against him. 
And when he was at Tizra, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, who was over the household of Tizra, there's a comma there, that means take a break. So let's unpack this for just a moment. That we hear that Eli is one who's drinking. Now he's not even at war, for one. He's not at the siege of the city that he wants to catch, catch again from the Philistines. He's getting drunk in the house of Azra. This is one of his attendants. That this man is probably the one who takes care of, of his, uh, his estate. He goes to his butler's house is basically what the Bible is telling you here. And he gets drunk there. Now, we see that there's a conspiracy that's swirling around him. His servant, Zemira. Now, Zemira, the word servant before his name is the same word, the same word that's used for Jeroboam, the servant of Solomon. Now we see the servant rising up, rebelling against the king. Over and over you'll see here that the servants who conspire, who want to dethrone the king, is almost an image of us as we are the rebels and we want to dethrone the king. In fact, the king came to earth and we killed him. But thanks be to God, he rose again and offers mercy and grace. I want to remind you that when Saul was on his, road, on his way to Damascus to kill Christians and God intervened and changed his heart, that whenever Saul was martyred, he walked into heaven to the cheers of the people he killed before him. That's how God can change a situation in a person. Thank you, Jesus, that you change people. And thank you, Jesus, that you don't change. Well, we see here it, it, over the household, he was over the household. And now we see Zemri came in and struck him down and killed him in the 27th year of Asa, the king of Judah, and reigned in his place. Oh, I don't like that king, so I'm just going to kill him. And he's going to be a new king. Most people and theologians don't really teach this, but in verse number 9, Zemri is a descendant from Saul and Jonathan. Remember Saul and Jonathan? Jonathan being the friend of David. Uh, and if Saul was king at one point, many theologians say that Zimri is making a last-ditch effort to become the, the king of Israel once again. We find his name in 1 Chronicles chapter 8, verse 36. Ahaz fathered Jedidiah, and Jedidiah fathered Elmeth, and Zimri, and Zimri fathered Moza. That's his name. He comes from the very lineage of the first king, Saul. So we can see here that this man, Zimri, was the servant of Eli. He was vying for his time of his heritage to be king. So he's going to off the king and that's exactly what he does. I also want you to notice here that Zimri, in verse number 9, was the commander of half the chariots of the king. The king being Eli. Now, I, I just want to bring to your remembrance congregation because I know it's on the tip of your tongue, Deuteronomy 17, 16. You know that, right? Well, if you don't remember, let me remind you that God tells the people of Israel only He must not acquire many horses for Himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in, in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. What he's telling us in Deuteronomy 17.6 is that the king is not to amass chariots, not to get armies of horses. But what does Elah do in the northern kingdom? He breaks, of course, Deuteronomy and does what he wants. And his servant rises up and kills him. So we see that Zimri came in and struck him down in verse 10. 
and the twenty-seventh year of Asa, the, the king of Judah, and reigned in his place. And he began to reign as soon as he had seated himself on his throne. He struck down all the house of Basha. And he did not leave him a single male or of his relatives or his friends. I want you to see in verse 11 that he kills all the males and all the friends of the former king. Verse number 12, And Zeremiah destroyed all the house of Basha according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Basha by Jehu the prophet. For all the sins of Basha and the sins of Eli his son, which they sinned and which made the Lord, made the Israel to sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Eli and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles, the king of Israel? Now we examine the short history of Zemri. In the twentieth year of Asa, the king of Judah, Zemri reigned seven days. Here's your guy, seven days. Asa, can you imagine how much sin you could do in seven days? Not well. Hey, if you're a professional sinner like me, I could do a lot. I can be honest with you. But here he is, unabated. He's unrestrained. He's the king. Finally, the, the tribe of Benjamin's of Saul has now finally got back on the throne, and only for seven days. Now Zimri reigned seven days in Tizura. Now the troops were encamped against Gibeon, which belongs to the Philistines. There's that same siege that's been taking place for about twenty years. They hadn't made much, much leg room or had much, made, made much headway. And the troops who were in count heard it said that Zimri has conspired and killed the king. Therefore all of Israel made Omari, the commander of the army, king over Israel that day in the camp. Hey, we're just gonna, hey general, you're going to be the king. It's probably the position of Zimri because he was only in charge of half the chariots. He was a lower person on the totem pole who just decided to be king. He was probably jealous. He was probably bringing back the notoriety and the dynasty of the king of Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. However, the army wasn't going to have that. They just make Omar the king and the commander over Israel. So Omar went up from Gibeon and all of Israel with him and they besieged the capital, Tizra. And when Zemri saw that the city was taken, he went into the citadel, the king's house, and burned the king's house over him with fire and died. So we see that Zemri thought there was no hope because Omri rides into town because he's been placed there by the army of Israel. Burns the house down on top of himself. Because of his sins and his committed Doing evil in the sight of the Lord, walking the way of Jeroboam and all his sin he committed, making Israel to sin. Now the acts of Zimri and the conspiracy he had made, are they not written in the book of Chronicles, the king of Israel? Now things will get interesting in the last 10 minutes that we're together tonight. Uh, I want you to see here in verse 21, Then the people of Israel were divided into two parts. Half the people followed Tibni, the, the, the son of Geneth. To make him king, and half followed Omari. But the people who followed Omar overcame the people who followed Timnai, the son of Ginnath. So Timnai died, and Omari became king. In the 31st year of Asa, the king of Judah, Omari began to reign over the people of Israel and reigned for 12 years. Six years he reigned in Tisba. Now you remember Tisba was the, the palace there burnt down. 
The former king, or the former weak, long king, Tismara, he burned it down on top of himself. So Omar is going to have to, he's got to move it. Omar, he's got to move it to somewhere else. So he bought a hill in verse 24. The hill of Samaria from Shimmer for two talents of silver. And he fortified the hill and called the name of the city he built Samaria. Now the word Samaria means mountain watch because Samaria was in a perfect place. It had a 400 400 foot side cliff on every side and mountains around. It was the perfect strategic place for a city. And of course, it was the owner of the hill. His name was Shemar. He wanted his name to be placed on the hill to leave a legacy. So verse 24, Amar did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he did more evil than all who were before him. He walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and the sins that he made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger by their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Omar, what he did, and that he might... That he will be showed were he not written in the book of the Chronicles of King. And Omar slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. And Ahab, his son, reigned in his place. This is where we're going to let off tonight. Because for the next couple of times we'll come together, we're going to speak about Ahab and his adventures with, you know, the prophet Elijah. We also talk about Ahab and his beautiful bride who will set precedence that something she had done, a trend that she has started in her time still goes on today. And She has a nickname when we call somebody a Jezebel. We know what that means. Oh, she a Jezebel. Don't mean that she's very noble. It means something. But Ahab will marry a woman who will set precedence and is still, still used in the cliche in our time, in our day. But in the meantime, I want to let you focus in on one thing. That to anger the Lord by their idols. That Jeroboam set precedence. He started a tidal wave and it crashed over on up to Ahab. If Jeroboam had just set the nation up to begin idol worship, then Ahab and Jezebel would never be able to pull off what they did. Compromising a little here, a little there. Rarely does a man backslide in one day. It's a little bit here, a little there. A little folding of the hands, a little rest. Well, really your rest turns into rust and you fade away. Before you know it, you stop praying as much as you used to. You don't read your Bible like you used to. You compromise. You, you say, well, this is taking precedence. i got to get up early to get to work. Well, isn't it important to either get up a little early or maybe take time in the day to make room for God in your life to He has precedence over any and everything else? Because you get 24 hours a day just like everybody else. What will you do with the time that God puts in your hand? Much like the... The parable of the talents that Jesus spoke about. The, yes, in the, the parable there were talents, but we can also use that today with the talents that God gives us, whether it be our, our time, our treasures, and, and, and all the things that God gives us. What do we do? Do we invest them into the earth? Or will we invest them into the, the spiritual realm, giving God praise, also growing our own faith, to stand in the evil day, to honor God, whatever, whatever He places before us. Many times He'll test us to see if we're really His. Because... A faith that's not tested is not worth having. How else will you learn to pray unless adversity comes your way? How else will you learn to serve Him even if you're against the current by, by being tested? I, 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 I don't usually hang out with people who I call shinies. 
Those are people like we read in the book of Ephesians. They wear the helmet of salvation, so they say. They wear, They have the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of righteousness. They have the sword. They have the, the shoes of peace. They have all of the armor, but there's not many dings in their armor. They haven't been through anything. Maybe they're a new Christian and we allow them time to get some dings and scrapes and scars on their armor to go through some battles. But I know some saints whose armor has been through some battles. Their thoughts have fought off by understanding they're saved by grace alone. They have the shield of faith to block the, the enemy and the darts that come at them. And, and they just believe that God loves them and they trust in the name of Jesus. Their, their shield has been oiled and is sharp because they handle their weapon every single day, not allowing it to be always sheathed. That is your only offense is to take your weapon out and to go to war. Make sure your blade is bloody with the adversary's blood because you're cutting down the lies of the devil. Make sure that your feet have mud on them because you've tread on the rough side of the mountain and you still walk in peace even on the battleground. Trust in the Lord. Make sure you ain't a shiny tonight. Let's bow our heads and pray.